everybody, I'm here with Dr. Kai Ruggeri, who'll be talking to us today about well-being. Kai, could I just start by asking if you could tell me a bit about yourself and the sort of work you do? Sure. So um, I'm a researcher and I lecture at Cambridge. Um, I run a small research group called the Policy Research Group. Um, what our interests are is kind of the translation of evidence into policy, um, both on how we get interventions scaled up across populations based on scientific evidence, and then also how we evaluate those once they've been run. Um, we look at a lot of different indicators in terms of uh, outcomes, and we try to figure out how we can make use of those outcomes for either scaling up to, to larger uh, interventions, or how they can be translated to other regions or applied across more diverse populations. I know you've done a lot of research in the past on well-being, and I was just wondering if you could define to us what is meant by well-being. Right, so this is kind of the big it question for um, the past few years, and certainly there's a lot of people with different views. Um, you hear a lot of uh, words used kind of synonymously with well-being, things like happiness, um, uh, life satisfaction, all this, but typically for the people who, who claim to be working specifically in well-being, what they do is they kind of classify it as uh, the functioning aspects and kind of the emotional aspects of so um, how you feel, so which is called hedonic well-being typically, and yeah. how you function, which is eudaimonic. And most people define it within these two categories or as a combination of the two. Um, that tends to be the prevailing approach, but there are a number of different ways people define it up to this point. And what's your approach? So our approach um, kind of builds on a lot of what different groups have done, but certainly looks at these kind of two main areas, which is uh, how people experience life, how they function through it, how they're able to survive and get through the day, um, but additionally how they engage with the life, engage with people around them, engage with the activities that they're involved in. So our interest is seeing, based on the variety of evidence you have, and you have a real breadth of evidence over especially the last 15 to 20 years, um, you have national level indicators, you have small scale research studies, and we're trying to work with kind of all of that to build to more consensus across the literature, and then try to come up with a more comprehensive definition um, that we can then start testing and measuring over time more consistently. Because right now there are a lot of very disparate approaches. Mm. Could you let us know, how does happiness differ from well-being? Right, so this is a, a really common debate, uh, certainly uh, in literature and, and in, in any number of forums. Um, the, the big thing is I wouldn't necessarily say that they, they differ. I would say in our approach that we see as happiness as kind of one of the more emotional aspects of well-being. Because one really key element is... Uh, the emotional side, and it's not just the positive side. Obviously, positive emotions like happiness are really important in the well-being element, but the overall well-being also has to do with how you handle the more negative emotions. So we wouldn't mm. necessarily see them as different, but that well-being is obviously very multidimensional, and it, it, it can certainly vary person to person, and many people would use the term subjective well-being anyway. Um, so happiness is just the kind of emotional, one of the positive emotional sides of well-being overall. Okay, that makes sense. A slight change of topic here, uh, we know that within the UK there are some regions, for instance Glasgow and the Welsh Valleys, that have high levels of well-being inequality, and by that I mean within the same region some people may experience a lot of well-being, whereas other people experience very little. What do you think explains this discrepancy in those regions? Right, so from the work that we do we would have a relatively straightforward answer in that, and that the, typically when you see very large inequalities at the same, or sorry, very large inequalities in the well-being, you also see huge variance in access to sort of basic needs or, or the necessary resources. So for example, if you have um, a very large group of people that do not have access to things like jobs and high quality education, um, health services and things like that, and a smaller proportion that do, you're likely to see a huge spread as opposed to kind of what you'd like to see, which would be more of an even spread with 
uh, not so many people at the top and the bottom. But as you have huge variances in access to things, especially in places like the Welsh Valleys in Glasgow, or in the work that we're doing that looks across Europe. So when we look at the, the countries that have higher variance in terms of just access to kind of the basic daily needs, you see much larger inequalities. Mm. Um, so there, there are a handful of different things that go with kind of the more societal elements of it. Um, access to, to work is really, really a key one. And if yeah. you have huge variance in that level of access, you're likely to see much larger inequalities. Yeah. Um, or at least a larger different distance between those doing very well and those doing very poorly, um, however you define it. Um, and certainly if you have that within groups as well. So even if you narrow down within specific groups, even within a region, you can find the same thing. If those vari- if that if the if the variation between uh, what sort of access they have is very large, mm, I see. What are some of these countries within the EU that have almost nationwide mm. inequalities? So there's there's kind of debate on exactly how you do it because if you use the same measure for all of them, there's there's some levels of debate as should we use in the same measure. So with our case. The measures we use, we typically see that the more eastern countries um, would have much larger inequality and also overall lower well-being. Depends on where you start defining eastern, but typically um, kind of east of Germany or east of kind of the Czech Republic. Um, interestingly, in the last few rounds of, of testing, Portugal have also come up very oh, really? low on it. Hmm. Um, and actually, in the two thousand six uh, in the two thousand six study on this, or data, using data from two thousand six. They came out as the worst um, across wow. the across the studies uh, the country studied, but typically yes. So your Bulgaria's, Ukraine, um, Russia, and these places typically come out with the highest level of inequality. I see. Mm-hmm. Why do you think Portugal went against expectations? So there are a lot of debates about this. Many people argued on a cultural side. Um, there's quite a few people that would refer to the Fadu culture in in Portugal. Um, some people say it may have been more simply the mindset around how much they were regularly reminded of the impact of the recession mm. and how they may have been so negatively affected that it really pushed in the other direction. Some people say it may be a cultural approach to the way they simply answer the questions. Yeah. Um, so there's certainly a lot of arguments. My view would be probably somewhere a mix of, of all of the above. And certainly because, like we said with the other countries, the variance in so the variation in how much people ac- how much access people had to those kind of basic needs or at least basic resources, um, that started expanding heavily. So therefore, you would expect that that kind of chasm to grow. Yeah, I see. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned the recession just before. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that we know is that well-being does not increase if the GDP rises. Mm-hmm. Why is income not more important for well-being? Right. So it's. I think for most people who look at well-being and the economic side of things, there's kind of a, a real challenge in disentangling a basic income. And you know, fundam- you know, having just a livable amount of income, and a moderate level of well-being. So, for example, in countries where there is greater access to at least basic employment, basic services, you're going to see typically higher numbers of people with at least moderate well-being. Yep. The problem is it doesn't continue moving up like that. So, just yep. because your income goes up, because up to a certain point, income helps you get those basic things and get certain worries out of your life, and you can focus on other things. But after that point, the other factors, the other dimensions I mentioned in, in well-being start playing a real critical role. And yes. so, for example, especially if, for example, by increasing your income, you decrease other things or if you yeah. sacrifice it, you may see at best a net zero effect yeah. or you may even see it decline. Because if you start adding things like stress and anxiety to try to mm. increase the income, mm. um, you're likely to not see a growth in or an improvement in well-being. 
But it's it's not to say that income isn't important. It's just it only gets you up to a certain level. Yes. And then beyond that, the other factors, the other dimensions in the in the comprehensive view of well well being will start playing a stronger impact. Yeah, I see. What point does your income need to be at to reap those initial benefits? Well, that's a debate for the politicians in many ways right now. Um, I would say that based on what we see, uh, being around the kind of median level of your community. Um, would probably be a good indicator of saying that that would get you to a moderate level. Um, but there's certainly arguments that would say that there are other ways to view it. But a lot of it has to do with how you kind of engage with the community around you. So it's not necessarily one number for one group or one country, mm. but really with how much do you need to be able to have the other things like engaging in the community, um, being able to stay, you know, look after your physical health, your yeah. mental health, and all yeah. these things. So the amount that we would say that's necessary. It's going to vary from place to place, but it has a lot to do with specifically being able to engage in the activities or uh, deal with the, the kind of uh, individual characteristics or um, experiential side that matters to you most as an individual. So if you don't have that amount, most likely we would expect well-being to go down. Mm, I see, I see. Dr. Kai Ruggieri, thank you very much for your time and we look forward to your presentation at Cumberland Lodge's Mental Health Conference. Thank you very much. Thank you.